coming up on This Week in Games. Snap Games is off to a great launch, Valve accidentally leaks their VR headset specs, and the FTC is stepping in on loot boxes. Coming up This Week in Games. that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown i'm your host eric mcconnell and this was a week worthy of news lots of stuff going on all over the industry let's get into it first off snap inc announces snap games its official gaming platform so snap inc is better known as snapchat um snap games can be accessed in the chat bar played with friends socially and requires no additional installs aka the games are streamed to your phone during play, voice and tech chat are still available, making this one of the most kind of social light games platform out there. It's arguably has a step up on even like Facebook Messenger and WeChat games. Right now, there are ads supported, but will definitely expand to IEPs, my prediction in the future. Interesting. Okay, we've all seen this coming. So Snaps made some acquisitions. Uh, they acquired an AR startup. They acquired HTML5 game engine company. You know, they they were planning this for a while. It's no big surprise. Really, the big surprise is the quality of the launch. So Snap Games is launching with six titles, Bitmoji Party, which is, I guess, it's pretty much like a Mario Party game. Tiny Royale made by Zynga. Tiny Royale is a two-minute loop battle royale from Zynga, which frankly is a really interesting concept, has some nice art in the quick trailer that they release. I'm, I'm, I have my eyes on it. Snake Squad by Game Closure. Games Closure has a top Facebook Messenger game, Everwing, so clearly they know how to make these like light games platforms work. Catch Drift Race by Zepto Lab. Zombie Rescue Squad by Pickpock. And Alpha Bear Hustle by Spry Fox. And Spry Fox I have tons of respect for and will play pretty much anything they produce. Dan Cook is awesome, and I love uh, any talks by Dan Cook. He's great. Spry Fox is great. This is a great game lineup from Snap. Like, great lineup. And I'm really impressed. They got all six of these games. These games hit kind of like different itches, but still have the same theme. Like, nothing too dark, nothing too light. Everything has what it looks like on the outside. Similar depth and complexity. Bright colors. Easy access. Jump in games. I'm really impressed. And uh, it's genius that you have to go through chat to play it. Because that was a big question. (coughs) Is... How do you access games on these platforms? They're making you open up a chat with a friend. Um, obviously, you could just open up a chat with yourself, but they really want to force the social mindset before the game is even started. And the fact that these are light messenger games, they aren't downloaded, so the barrier to entry is borderline non-existent. Now, I've made fun of snapping for starting a game platform. Um, I previously mentioned the AR company, HTML5 engine company, and so on. Now I see this can work. They're giving developers access to social features, giving players access to high-quality games. Limiting it to six diverse, high-quality games is also genius because that guarantees the first game experience players have is great. Keep an eye out on Snap Games. It's now a contender. And gosh, I mean, at this point, with such small competition, but yet Snap it's still kind of relevant, right? It never really went away. People shit on it a lot. It never went away. They had a real retention problem. This could help with that. And if you're a game developer and you're eyeing these like messenger platforms, 
God, it'd be really hard not to get on Snap. It'd be really hard not to be banging on their door and trying to get something high quality on there. So, <sighs> yeah, good job, Snap. Meeting my words, I look like an idiot. <laughs> I'm willing to admit it. All right, next up, Valve's VR headset dubbed Valve Index to be released June 15th. Now, a mistakenly published post or maybe a heavily calculated marketing tease was published on Steam revealing details about the new Valve VR headset, Valve Index. Valve Index is a terrible name, by the way, before we even get into anything, because do we call it the Index, the Valve Index? The Valve Index almost sounds like, like a kind of like a stock ETF for all the Valve games, like as if some investor invested in every game on Valve and then created an ETF index. Uh, doesn't even make sense. Please come up with a better name before you release it. <laughs> um, anyways, the details are still pretty vague. The Valve Index has headset tracking called inside-out tracking, which allows the headset to track the player without a base station. So the headset itself can do all the tracking. Also, the headset comes with headphones, which is like, uh, I guess that's nice. Everyone has headphones these days, really. Now, there is a base station with motion controller sold separately. Um, so you're going to have the headset and the headphones, and then you're also going to have a base station of motion controllers. No details on, like, what is the fidelity difference without the base station? Is the base station needed or not? Clearly, they're trying to push for it's not, and I guess that's one of the more quote-unquote innovative things about this is you don't need a base station. Eh, I don't know. Minimum PC requirements are dual-core processor with hyper-threading. That's very easy. 8 gigs of RAM, pretty common. At least a GeForce GTX 970 or Radeon RX 480 graphics card. Pretty low. I mean... I have, a, I have a laptop that's not a beastly laptop, but I can meet all that. Pretty interesting. I suppose all that matters at this point is price and performance. I'm not a VR supporter at the moment, but I really want this to succeed as the default VR product, the flagship VR headset that all experience are designed around. That being said, I don't think VR headsets that are tied to computing power of your PC are the future, and I don't think until they get high-quality ones out there that have built-in you know graphics cards or whatever like maybe not a full-on card but at least a graphics driver built in i don't think until the headset itself is the device with nothing else attached to it that this is kind of like the mass market turn i was hoping for it's really hard for regular people to understand that you need a powerful pc to run vr and most people don't even have pcs anymore they either have like glorified tablets or chromebooks or other shit like i'm I, I might be one of my only friends who has like a powerful developer PC with a true graphics card, not one of those like laptop graphics cards. So I don't I don't really know. Like this market is it's going to appeal to the people who are already appealing to VR. So it doesn't bring anyone new and it doesn't do anything that like lowers the barrier of entry for VR as it exists today. So Let's wait and see. Let's see if the impact is really there for this. I'm curious to see the price point, to be honest. And if anything else, I think it just pushes Valve more towards a VR future, which will help VR in the end. So let's all see. I know that's my answer for everything, guys. All right, next up, big government is starting to step in as the FTC is planning on holding a loot box workshop. So the Federal Trade Commission is holding a loot box workshop in August titled, quote, inside the game unlocking the consumer issues surrounding loot boxes end quote i love that they put inside the game as if like this is a fucking documentary or something inside the game 
unlocking the consumer issues surrounding loot boxes. Even more amusing, it will be publicly broadcasted online for everyone to enjoy. There's nothing we love more than watching old white men in their 50s and 60s who think video games are still space invaders really dive into this. But overall, it's just a discussion on loot boxes, gambling, education, and kind of like children getting targeted by all of the above. The game industry, though, really needs to either self-correct and own their course in the future or cut off free-to-play developers like the cancer that they're starting to become. Because as an industry, we can't keep using gambling psychology and targeting weak people to earn revenue. And we definitely can't do this shit to children. So uh, I really like it starts with a workshop and it ends in regulation. I really none of us want the government to step in on how we monetize our games. And it really has hit a point where kind of this basically is gambling and targeting weak people like it that's where we're at and so we as an industry need to self-correct or you know maybe we need to treat free-to-play developers as if they are a separate entity that sits between you know full-on real money casino games in like las vegas and the game industry where you buy games now i don't know but you know it, when they're starting to hold workshops like this, that's not a good sign, people. And speaking of government intervention, let's do a quick update on the ever-going drama and Chinese game approvals. So, since the game's license freeze was listed in December, we have some stats. A thousand titles have been granted for license for release, and of those, 30 are foreign. Pretty, pretty uh, obvious. China is openly encouraging domestic releases of foreign titles. That's kind of the story of China in general. Nine of those 30 are Japanese, six are U.S. titles, and the rest are scattered, probably some Korean and a lot of European titles. Looking at statistics of games that have received license, it's interesting, not surprising. 914 are for mobile, 40 are for PC, and five are for console. I don't know what the other missing games are. Some kind of mysterious platform that doesn't exist? I don't know. But that pretty much sums up the Chinese market in a nutshell. Now, I'm really curious to see when Tencent and NetEase can get their big dogs through the approval process. So they have a lot of foreign big dogs, and they've been playing ball with the Chinese government. So I'm surprised they haven't gotten some uh, approvals here. Diablo Immortal, PUBG, and Fortnite all do not have official releases. Now, some have been released, like PUBG, I believe, is released on PC in China, but not on mobile, and they can't get it through mobile. And some have been banned for indecency rules, like Fortnite and PUBG, I think something about sexuality or violence that they have to like censor so you know until we start seeing uh tencent and netties get their big foreign investments through i still don't think that this ban is like lifted and i still think the government is uh looking for something from both of those companies and i don't know what it is given that they have regulated game time based on age and some other restrictions that the government wanted i guess we'll see so let's get to some business news now kicking it off Jam City makes another acquisition, acquiring Berlin-based 231 Play. This brings Jam City's total to eight studios worldwide that they've acquired. 231 Play will now be rebranded as Jam City Germany, but the details of the deal have not been disclosed, so we don't know how much it was, how what's the payout period, and so on and so on. Now, 
it's kind of weird. 231 Play, not the most known studio. So they're best known for Game Doctors, but that title was acquired by Zynga in 2011. And then they have Zombie Smash, which is kind of a physics-based defense game. It's not quite a tower defense, but you mostly just blow up zombies as they walk towards some kind of finish line, and you have weapons. Again, uh, kind of a weird acquisition in Jam City. My real question is has Jam City abandoned their IPO plans or is this part of a now larger global focus, bigger IPO that they're planning? And why do I say that is because they seem to target um, countries around the world and they've yet to have like a foothold in Germany and that part of Europe, which is why I think they acquired this company to begin with has nothing to do with like the game that like they're not acquiring zombie smash. I think they're acquiring a competent game studio in Germany. Um, now I don't know what that ultimate plan is. That's just my overall thought. I, and furthermore, I think the success of Hogwarts mystery or whatever generic title that Harry Potter game has, um, caught them a bit by off by surprise. Cause the game's pretty awful, but it's still making a lot of money and they've acquired studios now in like Colombia, Germany, Canada, some other countries. And I suppose, the mobile industry is going through a mass consolidation where the big players are swallowing up all the mid-level players, but I still think Jam City now sets its sight on like this global IPO plan, which frankly is smarter than, you know, a local one. But the issue is, is if we all remember Machine Zone was rumored to be worth five to ten billion like a few years ago, and they kept delaying their IPO, kept delaying it, kept delaying it. Never IPO now. Like, what is Machine Zone worth? Like, when's the last time you've heard people talk about Machine Zone? You know, so hopefully GM City doesn't make that mistake, but we'll have to see what uh, they do in the future. And everyone's favorite game industry index, Tencent, raises $6 billion in bonds. What the hell? So Bloomberg reports, this is a weird-ass story. Bloomberg reports Tencent has roughly $20 billion in cash on hand. So why the hell is it raising money? Well, according to executives and earnings call, they are raising $3 billion to resire existing debt, including $2 billion that will mature in May. So basically, they have debt. I'm sure the interest rate or something is going to go up in May. They want to raise money uh, to squash that. After paying off the existing debt, they're doing it because, and this is so hilarious, frankly, it's a good market condition to raise money. And Tencent wants to expand heavily into cloud and other services, so it might as well raise money now. Sure. Why the hell not? You know, like, but you have 20 billion. It doesn't really make sense to issue bonds. Here's the other part. They're issuing upwards to 30-year bonds, which is the first time they've offered 30-year bonds. And frankly, what the hell company is offering a 30-year bond? Tencent's only 20 years old. Like, that would make the company 50 by the time that bond finishes. Ugh, such a, such a confusing company. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure they're going to raise all 6 billion in bonds, but... Oh, Tencent, Tencent, what are, you, what are you doing with 20 billion in cash? Maybe they are really trying to get into the cloud stuff. I know they're doing the cloud gaming platform with Intel. I announced last week that they have like the beta going. Uh, it was originally called Instaplay. The beta is called Start. God, I don't know. 20 billion is a lot even for that. So we'll have to see what Tencent's doing. And more on investing, um, Klaus Kirstein launches a new investment group, the Phoenix Games Group. So Kirstein's very famous. He's a familiar face to game investing. He's invested in Supercell, Wooga, Pickpock. Pickpock was one of the games 
of the six uh, Snap Games launches, and is the founder of Flare Games. The Phoenix Group, the new investment fund, is interested in investing in mobile free-to-play games, particularly targeting existing game companies that want to reach the next level of kind of like games. No announcement has been made of the investment, though Kirsten claims there are several acquisitions that they will unveil in the coming months. Eh, I, I, I like to shit on this, but I will say why this exists and why there's an upside. Free-to-play mobile is so crowded and hard. Like, the free-to-play mobile market, in my opinion, solely comes down to UA budgets rather than game quality. Like, everything lives and dies on LTV versus CPI. And so when I say UA budgets, that means user acquisition budget. And when I say everything lives and dies on this, I mean lifetime value per player. So if you take all the money you've raised and all the players who've played, what on average is a player worth in your game over the lifetime versus the CPI, the cost per install for that player. So through marketing, paying for installs, ads, anything like aggregate those all, what's the average cost to get someone to install the game versus what is the average lifetime value of a single player? And that's what everything lives and dies on at this point. And everyone's like, yeah, no shit, that's what all businesses live and die on. Well, the mobile industry is so fickle. Like it, it's all about you drowning out your competitor's exposure while retaining your users. So the only game design thing you have to accomplish is your retention rates and everything else is like you, you dominating whatever niche you have on the market. And then you get maintaining LTV above CPI. And sometimes maybe you have to take major losses to like get in that top 10 grossing or top 10 downloads for that genre and then try to raise LTV to beat CPI or so on, or maybe your retention's falling, but it's kind of like a shit show. And so it's a world I don't wish anyone to truly enjoys creating games to compete in, but if you're going to be in that world, you definitely need a pile of money to compete in that world. So from that standpoint alone, Phoenix Games Group makes sense. Like if you're, and this is what they're targeting, if you're a company that has good numbers, good retention, good everything, let's say, say your LTV is above your CPI, um, your retention rates are good, your engagement uh, metrics are good, you're kind of like active users and everything are great, but your company really only has like 5 million in cash, maybe 10 and you can't really blow it on like these major campaigns to put yourself in the top 10 grossing and then make the real money where you're making like 250,000 to 1 million a day. So you go to a Phoenix game group, maybe they invest in part of your company, maybe they outright buy you out and then bam, you're in the top 10 grossing, like they're dropping millions on you. So from that standpoint, this group makes sense, okay? And if you're gonna play in that free-to-play mobile games world, you kind of need a war chest, and the Phoenix Games Group provides that. So I shit on it, but the caveat is it's a it's a good deal. All right, last up, Lucid Sight, a blockchain game developer, raises six million in Series B. Oh guys, blockchain is still in <laughs> fucking blockchain word. And Lucid Sight plans on being its flagship developer for games. So here we go. The six million will use the port their two big bet games, MLB Champions and Crypto Space Commander, to mobile PC and console. So you just name mobile PC and console. What the hell platform were you on if you weren't on those three to begin with? I don't know. Also, hmm. Console is going to be hard to get on, especially for a blockchain game, but I don't know. 
it's hard it's hard it's hard out there for blockchain games the concept really just isn't producing anything compelling that truly requires blockchain at the moment like it's a lot of either like taking existing games and existing game designs and concepts and adding blockchain to it in like some kind of novel way or trying to like come up with something that heavily depends on blockchain but then possibly that isn't scalable or doesn't work like when the blockchain gets out of control see crypto kitties like what does crypto kitties look like in like five years you know it's just crazy so maybe in a few more years we'll tease out what blockchain games must be and what kind of that concept includes for right now i mean i'm good for you lucid site six million series b's nothing to joke about uh i'd like to see you succeed but blockchain you know blockchain all right guys that's it for this week in games i'm eric mcconnell come back next week we'll run down the video game news and do it all over again take care bye